Good evening. Elevators are interesting, aren't they? Especially when you're packed in there like sardines. You can't move. You do your best not to touch anyone and just keep looking at the lights as they light up, minding your own business. And if you're like me and you're somewhat nervous on elevators, you kind of scan and look at the area and try to judge the weight of everybody in there hoping that they don't exceed the weight limit, or if you're really claustrophobic like me, you look around and uh, you take out your phone and you see if you have service, so in case the thing gets stuck, you know that you can call somebody. You ever been on an elevator and you're by yourself, the door is about to close and you see somebody coming up trying to get on and you just let the door close because you want to be on the elevator by yourself? It's okay to admit that. Am I the only one that does that sometimes? You ever get off an elevator on the wrong floor and you walk out and then you realize that you're on the wrong floor? That's a walk of shame, isn't it? You have to come back. I I usually just pretend that I'm on the right floor and, and just walk on. Elevators are interesting spaces. And they're really kind of a microcosm of some churches. Because they show us that you can be in a confined space with a lot of people and still have no connection, no relationship whatsoever. No engagement at all. We as a people can be a part of a club. We can work at a company. We can carpool. We can do a lot of different things that require us to be in close proximity with other people and still not have engagement. We can be in a confined space and still not have relationship. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that it was not good for man to be alone, and so God made woman from the rib that he took from man, and here we have our very first little community. And now seven billion people later, we have much more more population in the world than we ever did back in the garden, and yet it still can be a place where there's no connection, no engagement. Some places are overrun, they're overcrowded, and still people go about their own business. There's no connection, no relationship, no engagement. When you saw the the title of the lesson tonight, you might have thought, where in the world is Chris going with this? You know, the community church movement is one that has really grown in the past uh, several years. Uh, And usually when we think of that term community church, we think of megachurch, lots of people, you know, a dynamic preacher. But truthfully, no matter who hijacks the term and turns it into whatever, the church should truly be a community church. And we see this play out over and over again in Scripture. We are a team. And a team is simply a gathering of people, a collection of individuals united in a common goal or a common purpose, right? However, as anyone who has ever been on a team knows, just having the proper number of people doesn't constitute a team, right? Just because you have the right number of players doesn't mean that you'll have a successful team. Just look at the Arkansas Razorbacks, right? So it's not just about having the proper number of people. It's about being united in a common effort, understanding what the goal is, understanding what the common purpose is, and everyone buying in. Now, whether we are a successful team as the Oldham Lane Church of Christ is going to depend on us as individuals as well. You've heard these old cliches like, you know, there's no I in team. You know, that may be true from a linguistic standpoint, but the truth of the matter is a team is made up of individuals, and the I matters, and it's something that Paul points to if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, 
Beginning of verse 1, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, you remember that a major theme for Paul was what? Was unity. He talked about it over and over again. That's a major theme in his writings, and certainly that is the impetus for what he's writing here. He's talking about teamwork. And I want you to notice how he opens the door to our individuality. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the church, like any team, is made up of individuals, but the success of the church, like with any team, is dependent upon each individual carrying out their role effectively. And Paul states that each individual Christian has different gifts made for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, some of those gifts back then were miraculous, some of them were not, but Paul affirms that all of these gifts are given for the purpose of attaining unity, of reaching the goal, of edification, encouragement, spreading the gospel, right? Notice verse 11 and following. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. And so, so Paul lists five groups that function for the purpose of training Christians, developing and maturing Christians for the work of ministry. It's like he's giving names to the different positions on the team, right? And so he goes through this to say that these team members are to teach the Christians, the fellow Christians, how to serve the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ can only be built up as the individual Christians see to it that they're carrying out their role effectively. Now Paul writes about this in other places, doesn't he? You see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about how each of us have an individual role. He says, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And the ear, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. You remember this passage goes on to talk about the different body parts and how they all come together to form and the, the one body that is to function properly, right? If the body isn't functioning properly, it means that some body part is not carrying out its role effectively, and therefore the body is deformed. If each member is not carrying out their role effectively, then the body of Christ becomes deformed. Someone else is having to pull your weight because we all have a role. We are all a body part that makes up this one body that is in Christ. Every member is important because each and every one of us make up a part of the body. You go back to Ephesians 4, this time verse 16, he says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So 
there are different functions among the members, right? But they all unite to form this one body. There is a diversity contributing to unity. We are all united to the head, which is Christ. Christ is the head of this body, and this describes the nature and function of the church. The church consists of individuals who are in Christ, and the church derives its being from Him, and in, do so, and in so doing becomes His body, doing His work in the world. The body of Christ is more than a figure of speech. It describes a function. But I think there's more to it even than that. I think when we talk about this community type of feel that every church should have, I think we have to understand that community is not where you start. Now, that may seem like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but community and relationships are highly important. And no doubt when you ransack the pages of Scripture, especially the New Testament, you find this theme of unity and relationships and community over and over again. But community is not the end-all, be-all. It's the aim. It's the fruit. Look at Acts chapter 2, for instance. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, it says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And you think, when you read that, what a great team, right? Wouldn't it be great to be a part of that team? We can be. You see, that's the problem. We read the Bible with appreciation, but not so much with application. We read it and we say, well, that was great for them. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be nice, and it can be nice. We can be that. It's kind of like when you read about the different characters in the Bible, and we say, well, you know, that was them. They were a good person. You know, uh, uh, Moses was the humblest man on the face of the earth, and we appreciate that. Good for Moses. No, do you want to be the humblest person on the face of the earth? Do you read it with appreciation or the application? When it says that David was a man after God's own heart, do you want to be a man after God's own heart? Because you should read the Bible with application. And when we read Acts chapter 2, among other passages that talk about community and devoted to fellowship, we should say to ourselves, I want that. This is the model, and we can be that. And at Oldham Lane, we should want that. We should want this for ourselves. We should seek to be the type of community that we see here, a dynamic team, a winning team, and we can certainly be that. But where did all of this start? It didn't start with community. That's a byproduct. That's not where you start. It didn't start with togetherness. When Paul commissioned Timothy, he didn't tell him to go out and build a community. He told him to go out and preach the word in season and out of season, right? Be bold, be courageous. While a major theme of Paul's writings is unity, it doesn't start with relationship. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul pushed Christ, not community, because that's where it all starts. 
we all find our spiritual DNA in Jesus Christ. So we start with him. We start with the head of the body, the one that we are linked to. Again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing that we put an emphasis on community or that we, that we stress community. We've seen that a lot. We see it across the religious landscape, don't we? Churches that are, are really focusing and zeroing in on community and relationship. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but oftentimes, what does it lead to? What is, what is emphasized as to what we're linked to? It's not always clear, is it? Sometimes it's just community for the sake of community. Sometimes it's a country club atmosphere, right? Sometimes it's just a social club. You've got to have a purpose. We've all got to be united in a common bond. We've got to know what that bond is, right? If we're going to be a successful team, we've got to know what's uniting us. And we're not here just for the sole reason of being a community or being linked together in a common bond. There's a reason for our linking together. And it's Jesus Christ. And I think that's so important to understand, especially when it comes to Folks that are coming into our fellowship, maybe those who are visiting our fellowship or visiting the church here. You know, you, you see it quite often in blogs and articles and things like that, talking about how you can make the guest more welcome, what you can do to reach the guests that come into your congregation. I read those. I know Jake reads those. I think it's important to try to find ways in order to engage people and involve people. But there's a give and take there, isn't there? No person should ever come into our worship assembly and someone not say hi to them. It should never happen that a guest comes in and no one speak to them, offer a handshake and introduce themselves. That should never happen. But even if it does, that's not the worst thing. Because it's not just about community, but that's what we've made it about. We've made it all about that so that if you're not welcome or if somebody doesn't say hi to you, then... Bets are off. I'm out of here. There's more to it than that. Yes, you should be welcomed as a guest. You should find someone to extend a hand or to, or to offer a, an introduction. But at the end of the day, we have stressed community so much that we have made it all about that, right? So much so that you see so many churches that are tailoring and, and, and doing whatever they can to, to reach the consumer, if you will. There's a two-way street here. You, know, you can't come in, not come to class, come in late for worship, sit in a pew with your head down, leave early, and then be upset that somebody didn't say hi to you or that you didn't feel welcome, right? You can't do the bare minimum and expect the maximum. But at the same time, we also have to understand that, that it's not just about that anyway. That it's about Christ, it's about the gospel, it's about preaching the truth in love. It's, it's about all those things, right? It's about who is the head of this body and are we linked to him first and foremost. And I believe that if a church is that, if a church is linked to the head, if a church is all about relationship with Jesus Christ first, then the other things will not be as, as difficult. The byproduct will be that we will be welcoming, that we'll be encouraging, that we will be a people that, that love guests. Do you realize that you don't find anywhere in the New Testament where church was catered to the unchurched? You don't find that anywhere. It's not in the Bible. Who was church for when we read through the New Testament? For God 
and for the saints. Would we love it if a guest came to our, our worship assembly and was moved and, and wanted to know more about Jesus and about the, oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely we would love that. In fact, that's what we invite them. But there's a difference in that and catering to the consumer to make it all about them. Because that's not what Scripture teaches about the church. The church was first and foremost about God, and it was about the saints. And so we let our love and our relationship with God and Jesus drive our love for people, including those who come and visit. You know, I constantly see articles and, and blog posts that say things like, why attending church no longer makes sense? Or why more and more people are saying no to church attendance. And I see these articles, at least the headline, and I don't even have to read them. I, I see what the problem is, don't you? I know what the problem is right off the bat. I don't even have to read the article because I can tell from the headline, right? You don't attend church. That's the problem. The problem is our world has perverted this concept of church to where it's something you go to twice a week at an agreed upon time. That's not what church is. You are the church. So this saying no to church or church attendance, it's not about church attendance. It's about the church gathering. You are the church. And let me tell you something. Merely attending church doesn't make you much of a, a church because sitting in a pew consuming church means you're not doing church very well. Church has become about consumption rather than contribution. And the focus has been lost. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find this recipe for success. Now what you find as the recipe for success is the team united together, the church united together in a common bond and a common purpose. Community, relationship was a byproduct of who they were linked to. Now, the church does sometimes look like a football game, doesn't it? 22 participants on the field with 80,000 fans cheer or boo. Unfortunately, sometimes it does look like a game or a, an athletic contest. 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, you've heard those. If we are going to be successful as a team, we all have to understand our role we all have to understand our God-given roles, and we all have to carry out those roles effectively. That brings us to our text this evening. You're probably wondering when in the world we were going to get to it. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 reads like this. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Here's Paul's prescription for a community church. The very first thing he says, basically, concede your need. To be the type of team that is successful, you're going to have to give up your rights and privileges. Not always, but you're going to have to be willing to give your prejudices, your ideas, your opinions, your scruples a back seat. Concede your need. Quit looking at things from a self-centered perspective. So many times, when we talk about this perverted concept of church, so many times we come into a church saying, what can this church do for me? 
And Paul says, no, no, that's the wrong question. What can I contribute to this church? How can I contribute to the unity of this congregation? What do they need from me? And you know what? It may not even be what you want to do. But it may be what you're good at. You know, we talked about this when talking uh, to potential elders. You know, there's been times where I've talked to gentlemen that I think would be quality elders, and I know some of our elders have talked to them. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get a response like, well, I, I, I just don't desire the office. Well, tough. Who cares? Moses didn't desire the office. Gideon didn't desire the office. I can find you a whole lot of people in Scripture that didn't desire the office. You may be the one suited for that office. You may be best suited for that. God may be calling you to take that position, and, and, and you're going to deny that? So it's not just about what you want to do. It's about what is needed. Paul says, In 1 Corinthians 12, among other passages that he talks about teamwork and unity, he says, the church needs you. We need each other, don't we? We all need each other. We can't do this without you. We're all in this together. Again, unity was a major theme of Paul's writings, and I'm sure you've noticed that within the word, community is the word what? Unity, right? That's important to recognize because You can't have community without this unity. I have to be willing at times, though, to set aside my needs for the sake of the team. So I can't have a dominant personality. I can't be one that always has to get my way. It's my way or the highway. That does not work. That's not how a community functions. That's certainly not how the church functions. I have to be willing to give up my rights and privileges at times. Not always, but at times. What is best for the team? I think we need to see others as more important than ourselves. And I think that we need to be able to look past our own nose. And I think we need to be able to see dirty feet. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He expected them to do the same. We need to be able to see the dirty feet. We can't be so focused on ourselves that we see nothing outside our little hula hoop. Also, I think 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, Paul's prescription is care and share. Tenderly cares, having so fond an affection, well pleased because you had become very dear to us. You know what these phrases point to? They point to the love that Paul had for people. I mean, why did Paul do what he did? Because he loved people, right? I mean, why did he endure the floggings and the beatings and the shipwrecks and all that? Because he loved people. But more importantly, who did he love? Where does his his love for people come from? It comes from a connection to the source, right? It comes from a love for God, for Jesus, Because when you love God and Jesus so much, you see people differently. You see people through their eyes. Oldham Lane must be about Jesus first and foremost. We must be connected to the source. It must be about the gospel. We must be about people. Not the number of people because that's what we usually focus on, right? We we typically focus on the number of people. But if we value attendance over souls, then ironically attendance fades. It's interesting how that happens, right? You can't value attendance over the individual people and their soul. You know, when I go and speak at a place, I'm leaving tomorrow for Oklahoma, I'll be there speaking, and there will be at least a couple of people that come up to me. So, Oldham Lane, how, how big is Oldham Lane? 
because that's how we measure success, right? How big is it? You know, if it's a smaller congregation, sometimes you hear preachers almost having to defend that. Well, you know, we're only about 100, but we're, you know, we're, it's okay. Whatever the size is, we're focused on individual souls, right? We can be a mega church even if we don't have 20 team members. If we're all on fire for God, if we have that passion, because it's not about the numbers as much as it's about the souls in the kingdom. It's not bodies in the pews. It's souls in the kingdom. I think what also Paul says here is that this is more than just Sunday. I know you know this, but it bears repeating. This is not something that is exclusive to Sundays. We live in a different time. The first church met every day, and this is a different culture that we live in. But community and our sense of engagement shouldn't be relegated to just Sundays. At some point, we have to put this into action at other times. Playing golf, going on a golfing outing, a ladies' retreat, getting together for lunch or coffee during the week. Engagement is not something, community is not something that only happens on Sunday. A community of believers united in a common bond and a common goal also provides others with a front row seat to the glorious life lived in Christ. When those outside the world see a strong family bond, they may not have been at church, but they see it outside of church, that's a draw. That's something that's going to get people's attention. The church needs more than just Sunday Christians. And the world needs more than just Sunday Christians. I was reading the story the other day about a little boy who decided he wanted to play church, but he had no congregants. So he rounded up all the cats in the neighborhood. They were his audience. As you can imagine, kind of like church people sometimes, they didn't really want to sit still and they wanted to do their own thing. And At one point, his mom's looking out the window, and he's taking each cat individually and dunking it in a bucket of water. And his mom shouts out the window, what are you doing? And he said, I'm baptizing these cats. And she said, well, stop, you're going to hurt them. And he goes, well, they should have thought about that before they decided to come to church. There There are people, even right here in our community, And I talk about it on the TV show quite often. There are people that may be watching our television program or that may be visiting with us here that have been hurt by church. They have a bad taste in their mouths. And what's going to help them overcome that and what's going to bring them back, I think, there's several things, but one of the things that I think is going to prove to be profound is the fact that they see us living out this community atmosphere. They feel like family. They see us and they see a family. They see a team united in a common bond working together to achieve the goal. And they want to be a part of that. Do I think that that our fellowship, our family can be an evangelistic tool? You better believe it. It most certainly can. We don't just show that here. We show it out there as well. I think we can be a big draw to the world around us by showing people what a strong family we are. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that we've had to come and worship you. We thank you for this family. This is a great family, God. It is a family that loves one another and loves you, and I pray that we can love you deeper and serve you better. I pray that we can look past our own nose and see dirty feet. 
I pray that we can be a congregation that cares and shares, a congregation that concedes our own needs at times, and a congregation that is willing to put forth the effort to reach those who are not here, those who should be here, and those that we know have a lot to offer. Help us, God, to be more like Jesus and to shine that light in the world around us so that, like we talked about this morning, we can bring those out of darkness, out of exile, and into the kingdom. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for the church. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You know, we said it this morning, there is absolutely no good reason for you to leave here dead. And I echo that tonight. There is no good reason for you to leave here dead. So if you have a need, and that's a big need. If you're dead, that's a big need. But maybe you need the prayers of this church family. Maybe you're ready to begin a daily walk with God. Don't leave here without being right with him. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?